0: clinical trial of an experimental vaccine against HIV that just began in South Africa is raising new hopes of making strides against the disease. The trial follows recent news of tests in animals that suggest the vaccine, in combination with an innate immune stimulant, may be able to put infected patients into remission. We spoke to Colonel Nelson Michael, director of the U.S. Military HIV Research Program at the Walter Reed Army Institute of Research, about the new trial, how this vaccine builds on what was learned from a clinical trial in Thailand from an earlier version of the vaccine, and why there's hope of related work moving researchers towards a functional cure for the disease that could free patients from the need for antiretroviral therapies for extended periods. Nelson, thanks for joining us. Happy to be here. We're going to talk about the U.S. military HIV research program at the Walter Reed Army Institute of Research, the effort to develop a vaccine against the disease, and the potential for a functional cure. I'd like to start with MHRP itself, which many listeners may not be familiar with despite the prominent role it's played in the battle against HIV. Can you explain what MHRP is and the role it's played?
1: Sure. Yeah. So the U.S. military HIV research program stood up in 1986 when the Defense Department began to realize that HIV was a threat not only to our own citizens, but uh, it was a a special threat to service members. We had thousands of individuals that were detected to be HIV positive once the uh, blood tests from Dr. Gallo and others were available in 1985. We realized we had a real problem. So I think one of the things I'm really proud of, I joined the program in 89, was we took the at that time controversial but well established public health approach of <clears throat> screening all U.S. military service members. Why? Because we did this. We actually used the um, ourselves in uh, in combat situation as walking blood donors. Uh, we did this over ten thousand times in the recent wars in the Middle East. So you know, soldiers uh, we protect each other and. Um, we give up some rights as citizens to, to join the military, but uh, first and foremost, we really fight for the person to the left and right of us uh, at the end of the day. And so this was something that, that within the military we didn't feel as soldiers was particularly controversial. We wanted to make sure that we weren't going to be a threat to others, that we would always be there to protect each other. Um, what we learned from this was that the vast majority of soldiers that were infected with HIV in the mid-1980s were healthy. And we were actually the group that uh, defined that there was a very long period of time between becoming infected with HIV and getting sick. Um, the Pentagon decided that this would be considered a service connected disability and that as long as you were healthy enough to serve, you would stay um, on active duty and uh, would have a, uh, you know, you would do your career as long as you could. Um, I was excited in the mid 90s when the antiretroviral drugs became available. As you can imagine, soldiers are. Pretty goal oriented, and um, we uh, our infected HIV soldiers do a, a good job at taking their medications. And uh, I began to watch patients of mine that I didn't think would um, uh, make it much longer uh, all of a sudden become healthy because they uh, started taking antiretrovirals. So I think one of the key things that our program brought early on was taking the right public health approach to the HIV epidemic, while at the same time we were focusing. Uh, like a laser beam, on developing a vaccine for HIV.
0: A trial of an experimental HIV vaccine is just getting underway in South Africa. The trial follows one that was conducted four years ago in Thailand. That study found the vaccine that was tested only worked in 31% of the cases and wore off over time. But it led to an understanding of a potential vulnerability in the virus. What was learned in that trial?
1: So the RV144 trial actually was... um was uh, unblinded in 2009, and uh, we published that in the New England Journal of Medicine. It was a real boost for the field because it showed for, really for the first time that an HIV vaccine was possible. There had been other studies that had been done that showed the vaccines that other vaccines didn't work. and about a year before in 2008 there was a vaccine study <clears throat> using something quite different that not only showed that the vaccine didn't work, it actually suggested the vaccine made it more likely. Um, you receive the vaccine to become infected with HIV, the last thing you'd want. It, that really began to put the whole idea of developing a vaccine for HIV into grave doubt. So the RV144 trial, even though it was only 31.2% um, uh, effective, that number was three years after the you, you, you received the last um, uh, shot from that vaccine regimen. When we looked in subsequent studies at six months after you received the vaccine, its its um, ability to protect was actually 60, 60%, And but, but the way we had designed the trial, we designed it and designed all the public health uh, implications thereof to be only read out at three years afterwards. So that was exciting. Um, even though we would rather have had a vaccine that we could have uh, va- uh, licensed in Thailand in, two, in 2009, we began to unpack why the vaccine was initially so largely effective and why the vaccine wore off over time and that led to understanding the vulnerability that you referred to it's it's a part of the virus that we call the the uh second variable loop or the v2 uh as a uh, as a code name and everything that we're now bringing forward to test in the republic of south africa is based on understanding why the vaccine worked in thailand Understanding that vulnerability and exploiting it with the the next generation of vaccine.
0: What's different about the vaccine that's being tested in South Africa? How does it work?
1: So there are three fundamental differences between what we did in Thailand and what we're, what the field is doing in the Republic of South Africa. First, as far as the vaccine is concerned, we retooled the vaccine so that it was matched. It matches the type of HIV that circulates in South Africa, which is called subtype C the kind of uh, HIV that circulates in Thailand is a different type. So we had to change the vaccine to match the population that we were going to then test it in uh, the second time. Two is that, remember I told you earlier, the vaccine wore off. Now we're giving an additional boost at the 12-month mark, and we're adjusting the trial to be read out at 18 months, not at, not, uh, at 42 months. And so we'll have a much better powered look for what we think will be feasible, that this vaccine, which, which worked but not well enough can be um, can be boosted. And lastly, there's a, a, a tweak in terms of a, a compound, a chemical compound called an adjuvant that boosts immune responses uh, even more. It's commonly uh, used in vaccine development. So, so we're using a different kind of adjuvant, which is the technical name for this kind of compound that um, again is commonly used in vaccines that you would get for influenza or other kinds of uh, infectious diseases. So. Again, we're exploiting the vulnerability that we learned from the Thai study in 2009 to uh, to optimize what we hope to learn in in South Africa in 2016.
0: How's that trial being conducted?
1: So the way this trial works, and this is actually a fairly big difference between what we experience in Thailand and what we'll experience in South Africa, the level of infection per time in the uh, population we're vaccinating in, um, in South Africa is about 30-fold more intense. So there's a lot more disease transmission in South Africa than the populations we are working with in Thailand. As a consequence, we will enroll only um, uh, 5,400 individuals instead of 16,000, and half of those individuals will receive a placebo and half will receive the active vaccine. Those individuals will be followed over time. They'll be counseled on safe sex practices. Um, They'll be counseled on the use of of, um, of a variety of techniques that either are available now or might become available, like pre-exposure prophylaxis, if the government of South Africa um, uh, increasingly rolls that out. So um, these individuals, everyone in the study, even though they won't know, and we won't know as, violent, as as study investigators, we won't know what they're receiving until the end of the, uh, of the trial. Everyone is going to be counseled on, uh, and continuously counseled on safer sex. Uh, approaches. So <clears throat> the end point is going to be who becomes infected and who doesn't. This is exactly what we did in Thailand. And the critical point is so I told you that study volunteers don't know what they're receiving and the actual study investigators don't know what's being injected. Well, someone's paying attention. Um, there's a group that's called the Data Safety Monitoring Board. Sure. That's an independent group, and they are the watchdogs of the study. They see every bit of information that comes out. Um, and they will very, very carefully monitor this trial, first and foremost, to make sure it's safe. And second, if they see that the vaccine is really working um, better than we, we expected, they could potentially stop the trial and say, stop, this vaccine is working. They could stop the trial and say, uh, stop, this vaccine is, is, is causing harm. Or they could stop the trial by saying, statistically, at the end of a certain amount of time, we predict this vaccine will never show efficacy, won't hurt people, it won't help them either. So the data safety monitoring group is a really important part of this study.
0: Given the prevalence of the disease and its severity, what would constitute a success for this vaccine in this new trial?
1: So much as we worked out with the Ministry of Public Health in Thailand um, uh, quite some time ago, the level of efficacy that um, the government of South Africa is looking for is 50%. Um, why is that important? Because if you actually look at what the impact of a vaccine that's only 50% effective is, um, when, you're, when you're looking at populations of especially young South African girls, a uh, hundred of whom, if you follow uh, today, um, a year from now, nine or ten of those girls will, will be HIV infected. If you could make that number only four or five, it would have a huge public health impact for the government of South Africa. So at the end of the day, What's considered a success is dependent upon what the nation where you're doing that that vaccine trial uh, is conducted in and the manufacturer. So licensure of a vaccine is a handshake between a government of a country and the manufacturer of that vaccine. So um, working together, Sanofi Pasteur and uh, GSK, who are the pharmaceutical uh, companies, and uh, the Medicine Control Council, or MCC, it's, it's the FDA equivalent. Uh, for South Africa have determined that 50% is the mark which they want to receive.
0: Why has it been so difficult to develop a vaccine for HIV? Is is this a tougher task than developing a vaccine for other infectious diseases?
1: Yes, much tougher. I mean, uh, really, HIV is the Super Bowl of uh, vaccine development. Why do I say that? So my own group uh, recently has had um, successes in testing vaccines for Ebola and for, for Zika. Um, In both of those cases, as as terrible as as those diseases are, if you survive um, Ebola or if if you, um, um, you know, Zika is not a a virus that that kills um, uh, people, but it obviously causes birth defects. If you're infected with either of those uh, viruses, as an example, the immune response that you raise will protect you for a very long time. Um, It looks like for Ebola, probably lifelong. And that's how most vaccines are developed. You look at the natural immune response and you model it. You say, okay, now I've got a blueprint. The, you know, Nature is providing me how, uh, what I need to do to make a vaccine. Now you just use a vaccine that gives you those immune responses. So you have a map. In HIV, the, the immune response does not protect you against becoming infected. It doesn't protect you against getting reinfected with a new kind of HIV. So we don't have that map that Mother Nature would provide. And secondly unlike those other viruses that I mentioned, or other bacterial infections, what HIV does, it stitches its own genes into ours. And so in that sense, it actually subverts our own cells and and makes them uh, more cancer cells. So getting rid of HIV or blocking HIV is much more difficult because really, instead of an infectious disease kind of thought process, making a vaccine for, for HIV really has to borrow on a lot of what we know about treating cancer, which is a very difficult thing to do. So... Uh, for those scientific reasons, making a vaccine against um, you know the deadliest scourge of the 20th and 21st century has really been uh, difficult, but we believe now that our science has evolved to the uh, point where we're really uh, able to take more shots on goal, and we hope to, uh, to have more success than we saw in Thailand in 2009.
0: I'd like to shift gears a bit and ask about some other work MHRP has been involved with, along with Beth Israel Deaconess Medical Center, Janssen Pharmaceuticals, and Gilead. This has to do with the combination of an experimental vaccine with an innate immune stimulant that may lead people with HIV to go into remission. Can you explain what was done?
1: Sure. Um, So the story really starts back in 2012 when Dan and I were, um, we published a paper in the journal Nature that showed that a kind of, of new vaccine that we were testing to protect um, animals against the um, the animal equivalent of HIV which is called SIV we found that in animals that broke through the vaccine with a certain combination using a, a vaccine called adenovirus type 26 or ad 26 that were then boosted with um, a vaccine whose whose name is MVA that combination caused a significant number of animals to really control their virus even though they were infected the level of virus that existed in their bodies after they became infected was quite low. Um, and then that actually turned into a clinical study which started about three or four months ago in Thailand using individuals that we have detected very, very early in HIV infection, literally within days, um, and they get immediately treated with antiretroviral drugs Been treated for years. We're actually using AD26 and MVA in the clinic to see if we can actually begin to, to give uh, a chance for HIV to be so knocked out in those individuals that people could, could go on um, extended periods of time where they wouldn't have to take antiretroviral drugs. It's called a functional cure. So now fast forward to about a year ago, uh, the partners that you mentioned, we decided that we should, since we had the initial success with AD26 and MVA in the uh, non-human primary monkey model, we should look at these, <clears throat> these immune stimulants. And you mentioned uh, uh, a drug that's a TLR7 agonist. So we decided, let's marry AD26MVA, which we knew uh, was meritorious in that in that model. Let's marry it with uh, TLR7, and we tested them in individually as well. What we learned and published uh, just a few uh, days ago in the journal Nature, we showed that the AD26MVA, as we expected, worked pretty well. It dropped the level of virus in, in monkeys that um, were treated for a long time with antiretrovirals, received these interventions, and then we took the drugs away. The HIV came back in all the animals, but inter- but critically in the ones that were treated with AD26 MVA alone, we saw that they had about tenfold less virus after the, the uh, virus uh, came back. That was interesting. Um, using TLR7 by itself, we didn't see much of a difference at all, but when we put the two together, we saw a 100-fold reduction in the amount of virus that came back, and critically in three of nine animals the amount of virus that circulated in their blood was not detectable by standard techniques. So that really was an exciting result. We are now retooling our study in Thailand to add the TLR7 um, compound to the AD26 MVA and continue to make progress on achieving, again, what we would call a functional cure, which would be effectively someone that could go for a very long time without having to take a pill every day. So we're very excited about those results. They are already impacting what we're doing um, in the clinic with, um, with, with human beings, and uh, it's something that we really intend to continue to build on.
0: And is there any understanding why this combination is having this effect?
1: Yeah, uh, it looks like, and this is, again, why we were able to publish it in such a good journal, it looks like what we were able to do is generate a really powerful immune response against the virus when you knock the level down, use vaccines, especially with the TLR7, it really revved up the immune response specifically to the SIV in those animals, and um, it, and I think that really is the key. If we can do that even more, we could eventually uh, conceive of a time when people could go off antiretroviral drugs for a very long period of time, and ideally, the immune. Um, if we can get the immune system so revved up um, <clears throat> that specific. Now, the you know you have to be careful when you when the immune system gets overdriven. Uh, too much, and especially in a non specific way, it can cause harm. So, we want to make sure that we, we get enough troops to the fight that, that we could conceive that HIV could be cured, fully cured, that actually the immune system would find every bit of HIV that's in, um, that's in the body and, and destroy it. That's the hope. That would be a true cure or a, a sterilizing cure. And, um, you know, I don't intend to retire until we get to that day.
0: When you look at these recent developments, What's your sense as to where we are in combating HIV and moving beyond antiretroviral therapies to new means of preventing and controlling the disease?
1: Yeah. I mean, I, have been, I spent my entire professional life on this uh, disease and I, at age 59, I'm very, very excited about the future because, um, even though in, in certain countries, um, you know, people begin to think less of HIV because they think, well, you can just take a pill for that. Um, 26,000 people die every week of this disease. It is an unbelievable human toll. Um, And we are finally on the verge now of having so many different tools that we can bring to bear on bringing the epidemic to its knees. Vaccines are looking more and more um, positive in terms of preventing infection in the first place. The use of antiretroviral drugs is getting easier. We're developing monoclonal antibodies and other kinds of, of immune approaches that might be able to... Keep people healthy for a long period of time or even completely cure HIV. So um, I think 30 years of incredible science, um, I'm beginning to see the light at the end of the tunnel. But I think the critical point is once you have, um, you know, the dragon down on its knees, now is not the time to let our foot off its throat. And uh, many of us in our field are concerned that the progress we've made uh, might cause some to say, well, you know, this is not so, so much of an issue again. We made that mistake with malaria back in the 1950s, drained swamps, used DDT, a bad pesticide, but it killed the mosquitoes. And, um, you know, we thought we had malaria licked. Well, you know, it's now the world's biggest killer of children So, because it comes roaring back. So will HIV, if we don't keep our attention on this and uh, and not just keep it down, but but knock it out.
0: Colonel Nelson Michael, director of the U.S. Military HIV Research Program at the Walter Reed Army Institute of Research. Nelson, thanks for your time today. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening. The Bio Report is a production of the Levine Media Group. To automatically download this podcast each week, subscribe to our RSS feed or through iTunes or other podcast manager. To join our mailing list, go to levinemediagroup.com. We'd love to hear from you. If you want to drop us a line or are interested in sponsoring this podcast, send an email to danny at Special thanks to Jonah Levine, who composed our theme music, and the Jonah Levine Collective, which performs it.